0: Huxley basically argued if people would lose their freedom because they were so entertained by screens, by entertainment, uh, by pop culture, that they would voluntarily give up a lot of their personal information and a lot of their agency. There's no doubt that Orwell got everything right, I think, in my opinion, except one thing perhaps. Government, I don't think that's gonna be big brother. You know, I think it's gonna actually be a combination of Amazon, Google, and Facebook. It's about unlimited access and power these companies know you better than you know yourself and they know everything you do and say in private and they also understand how to manipulate that knowledge public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific technological elite welcome to the show you like to hear a podcast Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Foundations. My name is Joshua and I am your host. We will be getting into some more topics related to this comparison between the Reformation time period and modern times. As a reminder, this is Kind of part two of season two, part one was the series of interviews that I did on these topics with various experts that uh, often had their own podcast that they did on these subjects. And then now I'm getting into the second part of season two, where I am personally getting into these topics solo and digging into some specific aspects of them. So this is a continuation of that format. In the previous episode, I had kind of ran over my roughly scheduled time frame. I've been wanting to keep these episodes more short, and I kind of kept going and going, and it ended up too long. And so uh, I cut off the last part of the previous episode and paired that up for the beginning of this episode. And the split worked really well. It was kind of a natural break in the topics I was covering. So if it sounds a little disjointed as I start stop this introduction and begin the remainder of the episode. That is why, and I apologize, but it should be fairly smooth. So let's go ahead and get into that now. The next pattern that I want to talk about moves away from this idea of a business model of this sort that I laid out and into what happens with movements, with decentralized movements. Well, we definitely saw that in the time of the Reformation. There was this big decentralization movement that went on. And, well, what happened? Well, of course, I've talked about this a lot, and that's kind of the whole point of season two. But the aspect I want to talk about here is how that evolved overall. So what you had was this decentralization movement built on an ideology of individuality and breaking away from centralized institutions and having your own autonomy and going back to a sense of morality and personal responsibility, these types of things. That's what was going on. And what happened was that that ideological focus got steered in a certain direction, basically it turned into something where the flaws in the system that were being rebelled against They ended up getting turned into binary issues, and there were two aspects of the flaws that were pointed out, and those were focused on, those were harped on, those were uh, spread around through propaganda, and that is what the movement began to be about. It began to be about things like, when you take communion, are you actually literally ingesting the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what some people believe, transubstantiation. Or you could have the idea that it is symbolic. It is a symbol of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And you look upon that with remembrance of what happened versus actually partaking literally in those elements and in those things. And so that ended up being one of the big debates. You had a big debate about iconography at one point where it was an issue of these images and these statues and these paintings was it okay to make representations of heavenly things that was one of the issues and either it was or it was not there were issues with aspects of usury where there were debates about whether or not you could charge interest at all and some people said you just couldn't charge interest at all on a loan of any kind some people said that you are allowed to charge a fee for a service that you were um, giving to somebody, basically charging interest, and you were allowed to do that to a small extent, but not to exceed a certain principle. And there ended up being big debates about this. There are lots of issues like this that were debated. Some of these were debated in the actual Reformation, some were prior to that, and some kind of crossed over. But all of these things were big debates where it turned into a binary issue, and you had people that split and people that broke off because of these binary issues, and they would end up creating basically another version of the church but with this one issue being treated differently or a few of these binary issues being treated differently. But overall the system was basically just copied and transplanted over and it was just done in a slightly different way with some of these binary issues operating differently. And that had the problem of not addressing the system itself again, instead of saying, hey, this whole system is messed up, we need to do something completely different. They basically said, oh, well, the reason the system is messed up is because of this issue and this issue. And if we just switch sides on this and this, then all of a sudden, everything will be better. Um, It's kind of like voting today would be the good example where the reason why the government is so bad is because the Democrats are in office. And if we just get the republicans in then everything will be fine or maybe not only that but let's let's get the republicans in and we will also make sure that the house of representatives are dominated by the republican party and we add a few supreme court justices that are friendly to conservative values and then the government will be doing just fine everything will be better well it it Fails to address the actual system, the actual problems. Again, that's kind of the problem here. Well, what happens is that you end up having power shift away from the original centralized source, which Reformation time, that was the church, and the power shifts away to a lot of these different offshoots that are, again, very similar systems with just a few different tweaks and changes and differing beliefs. And so you end up with this decentralization movement that doesn't actually completely decentralize things. It does break them up and it does decentralize them to an extent. But if you look at the system, the business model, so to say, of how religion is organized and carried out and how it is administered, the bureaucracy around it, that kind of stuff, a lot of this was very similar in all of these offshoots. What then ends up happening is that a lot of these offshoots end up being dominant players in certain areas, and you have some more offshoots from that. The decentralization does not end there. It's not just that the Lutherans broke apart from the Catholics and that was the end. No, you had the entire Protestant wing where you had the Lutherans, you had the Calvinists, you had a lot of these different groups. The majority of the groups, let's say, in um, the United States— derived from the Protestant side of the split there. You had the Protestants and the Catholics. And so although that was a binary shift... The Protestants have a lot of different beliefs. If you look at the Baptists versus the Presbyterians versus the Calvinists, and a lot of Presbyterians are Calvinists, and you you get this um, intricate web that you end up weaving. But what ends up happening is you end up dispersing this centralized institutional church into something that ends up looking a lot more like an oligarchy. So instead of having one person in charge, one group in charge, you end up with these Groups of denominations, and you end up with a few denominations that are a lot bigger and a lot more influential than all of the others. And so, even though you have multiple denominations, it ends up operating a little bit more like an oligarchy than it does a completely decentralized movement focused on the root ideologies. It ends up being more like an oligarchy that pushes all things related to Christianity onto the Western world in general, and that's kind of how it ended up going. Things were still fairly centralized. These different denominations were still organized under that same system, under that same model. They were still largely connected to the state, and these were different states. As you had the movement into North America that was going on around that time, these different denominations usually dominated certain colonies in America and they ended up oftentimes being the state and then sometimes they were separate from the state depends on the colony you look at but they end up operating roughly the same way they are still centralized they are still connected um, to the state and they still control a different range of allowed freedoms and so even though you have this split and this decentralization that happens, it doesn't go all the way to the individual by any means. You just have some of these binary issues where you are allowed the freedom of this, or you are allowed the freedom of that. I talked about where do freedoms and rights come from in the previous episode, but this is something that these different denominations took on, and different denominations had different views on things like alcohol or divorce or you know a lot of these different things that uh, many people would say would be freedoms that we have in the world today. A lot of those are treated differently depending on what de- denomination you looked at. And so they were the ones that controlled the freedoms. And so, again, you do end up with religion, centralized religion, being decentralized and broken apart to an extent. But then you just end up with more of a regional issue of these types of things, where you have certain denominations that dominate certain areas. The Church of England dominated England. You had um, these different denominations in America dominate certain colonies. And again, a lot of it was very similar to the original Catholic Church, but it was just broken apart into smaller segments and, again, operated more like an oligarchy than it did an actual decentralized free market, which is probably what the ideal would have been based on the ideologies of the original movements. And I say based on the ideologies originally uh, not in the sense that Luther had this idea, but if you take his views and some of his criticisms to their logical conclusion, then yes, that ends up being what you would get to. Although, no, that's not what Luther had in mind. He just wanted to tweak a few things with the Catholic Church. Again, that's why it's called the Reformation, to reform the Catholic Church, not to create a entirely new religion or anything like that. And so that is the deal. If you look at the ideology behind it and the things that he was pointing out and some of the theology behind that, and then you take that to its logical extreme, if you keep going with it and keep going with it, it ends up becoming a very decentralized, individualistic movement that would be very free. And that's not necessarily what it end up being. Over time, however, you did end up, in the end, with freedom of religion. That's what we have today. You are free to have whatever religious beliefs you want. And this is at least in most of the Western world. I know it's not worldwide. It's not everywhere. But in general, for my audience here for this podcast, the right to believe what you want to believe and to be a part of whatever religious community you want, that's a right that most of us have. But that right and that freedom came at the expense of state or political control. So again, as I've talked about, as the church decentralized and split apart a lot of that control moved to the state realm, to the political realm. And at first, like I mentioned, these different denominations were still very tied in with the state, and the Catholic Church even was very tied in with um, different political oligarchies and um, political ruling parties. But over time, it ended up being that the church and religion played a smaller and smaller role, and the political realm played a larger and larger role until the state really took over a lot of the those things related to where your rights come from, where your freedoms come from, what you can and can't do, how you operate in your everyday life within a certain territory, that kind of stuff, ended up being the state's realm instead of the church's realm. For the modern parallel, the parallel of the church is the state in the parallel to the state you know roughly back then the political realm would be today the corporate realm and so if you play out this parallel we will end up with a freedom of political views where we can have whatever political views we want but that doesn't go all the way to the individual level again just like religion didn't at least to begin with maybe eventually it will but to begin with what ends up happening is you have different denominations you have different subgroups that split apart so again you see this decentralization of uh, political views and political movements, political parties, political beliefs and how you express those in your life and in your community, in your state or in your small country, And those become a lot more decentralized, where smaller regionalities have more control over their political policies and how they operate. And so that is, you know, generally considered to be a good thing. We see that a lot, the polarization of politics and all of these issues that are coming up, Um, the overall zeitgeist of the world is very political and a lot of fighting going on. And so I'm sure you could see how that would begin to create this more decentralized view of political rights and freedoms and views and how different areas and regions operate from a political standpoint. But again, what comes in the place of the power that the state did hold, of the power that this more centralized political view did hold. So in America, for example, you have one federal government that basically controls all politics. Now that is broken up into Um, this left-right paradigm where you do have two parties and they do battle between each other and one wants to spend more money on wars and one wants to spend more money on the welfare state and they debate about how they're going to spend all this money and what they're going to do with the more money they keep collecting and printing and the larger and larger bureaucracy that they both want to build. But overall, the country is controlled by one centralized state government, one federal government. And I, I do know what the Constitution says. I have read it. Yes, I do know that states have different rights, but uh, the way realistically things actually work is that the federal government is largely the big player that controls everything in America. Now, we are starting to see... Some rebellion from that. Again, these anti establishment movements rebelling against this centralized state power. And you have different states in America, individual states that are rebelling against that in various ways. And that's how we're seeing the beginnings of this decentralization of politics. But who gains control? Well, who's the other party? If you look at the parallel, it was that as the church lost power, the nobility gained power and the state ended up gaining power. Well, The modern parallel here would be that as the political realm and as the state starts to lose power and become more broken up and decentralized, you would have the corporate realm or the technocratic realm start to gain more power and gain more influence. And so that's what you would see happening where... As you have political issues becoming something that are more individualistic, but not to the extreme, more denominational, we should say, you would have things like how you control resource allocation and how you manage your data and manage your identification and how you travel between zones and how you do all these different kinds of things. These are done in the corporate realm, and these are handled by more technocratic means. And again, if you look at the original technocracy movement, they said it was not a political movement, not at all. It was a resource allocation management device, so to say. I don't know exactly how to describe that, but that was their ideas. They would deal with resource allocation. They were not dealing with political issues. And so what happens when the political issues end up being decentralized, lose power, and these more technocratic groups and organizations and movements start to fill in the gaps through the corporate realm? Well, then you end up with the corporations having more power than they did before but still very connected with the state and these local political denominations and things like that um, but you could see how in the end what the end result might be far in the future would be a technocracy ruling things and politics maybe going all the way down to the individual level like religion ended up uh, getting to the Eventually, in today's world, where um, religion is all the way down to the individual level, but the state is the universal dominant power over large territories. The internet is another thing you can look at for this type of model of decentralization. You have this movement with a decentralized ideology where information is free for everyone. Everyone has access. It's this free movement that everyone joins and becomes a part of. Well, what happens? Well, it ends up breaking off into more denominational groups, more of an oligarchy. You get to today where you have big tech that largely dominates the internet in many ways for many reasons. And you end up with a system that everybody has joined up to and that you've got everybody hooked on and reliant on and they are familiar with, they expect it, it's part of their lives, but it is largely now centralized, not in one single centralized source, but in an oligarchy of denominations, so to say. You have a handful of companies and a handful of players that really dominate maybe 80% of the internet. And that's just a random figure I throw out there because I do not know and I'm not going to do the research, but if you imagine what big tech controls, so to say, it is a large majority of internet traffic and use that goes on. What a lot of people see, the information that they get through a Google search or through their social media, watching their Twitter feed or their Facebook feed or Instagram, watching YouTube videos. You have this idea of censorship and um, ideas, videos, comments, posts, things like that, going down the memory hole where they are basically deleted permanently, you can't access them anymore. I've actually ran into that a few times where I'll find um, different references to a specific article or to a specific post and there's no record of it ever existing as I search through the internet and can't find it. Even if I go through DuckDuckGo or something instead of Google, I still can't find them. There is a lot of content on the internet that's just been deleted. Well, what happens? Well, You've got this population that is now completely reliant on this system that was given to them for free and is now controlled by this giant monopoly who can then control all of the stuff that goes on within this system. They have a lot of control over that population then, and they do so through... Largely, ideologies and content and beliefs and information and data, these are the types of things that they operate in. And through that, you can have the perfect system for control with data, with propaganda, with just overall control over a group of people because you control what they see. You control even what they believe at times. You control what they can say and what they can't say. Again, information is key. And if you control the information that someone has access to or that someone is presented, whether they're even searching for it or not, you have a lot of control. And so you end up with an oligarchy with a perfect system of control All based off of what was originally a completely decentralized movement that was very individualistic, where everyone had access to everything and there was no centralized control. The whole point was that it wouldn't be controlled. It couldn't be controlled. And largely, ideally, the technology can't be controlled. But again, this system has been created and people are hooked on it and it's set up to be a certain way. And you have these different binary issues that get discussed. Well, can you talk about this or that? Can you say this? or that, and certain groups, oh, well, this group is bad, this group is good, and so they get censored, but they don't. Again, you have these binary issues that come up, and they're different on these different platforms, but largely, as a whole, this system has been created, it is being used, and it is the perfect system for control. And what happens if you then want a certain idea of history to be believed in the future? Well, you just erase everything that's contrary to it, and you might have the control to do so. You control people's searches, you control what they have access to, what information is available at all on the internet. So you can see that maybe as this stuff becomes the internet in general, becomes more centralized, there's more control in the hands of maybe a technocratic um, oligarchy, then you would end up with a group that could steer... Society as a whole, fairly easily. They'd have a perfect system set up for it. You control everything, what people see um, largely through algorithms. You can control whether someone believes something or not, or you can put an idea into somebody's head just based on subconscious things that they see that pop up as they are surfing the web, or what results you put in what order. Uh, you put warning labels on certain things. There, there's lots of different ways that people are manipulated through these different companies and these different sites and these different platforms. And if you end up with a technocracy that controls all of that, and people have shifted completely onto the online world into a completely internet-based age, let's say you have digital IDs. We've talked about that before. Well, all of a sudden, your digital ID... Your currency that you use for everything, how you stay connected with everybody and communicate to everyone, phone calls, text messages, emails, whatever form is being used at the time, that's all done through the internet and basically through a technocratic oligarchy. Even things like education, a lot of educational resources and platforms are going more online, going more remote now. And again, what happens if society continued to progress along this route, became more and more reliant on the internet as the internet became more and more centralized into a more and more powerful oligarchy as the political system is losing power and this technocratic system is gaining power with a perfect system of control like the internet again you can you can see the dangers here and there are plenty of sci-fi movies and books and novels about this and how this could end up and we are seeing it play out in modern times it is extremely interesting I do want to highlight, though, that this is an ideology of collectivism, of elitism, of eugenics. All of these types of things are ideologies. They're not always coordinated movements or conspiracies. It's not necessarily that there is one group somewhere hidden in the dark recesses of some important room in, you know, who knows where. That's controlling everything. That's not necessarily the case. Not even the case that maybe there's a few groups that are competing behind the scenes and no one knows who they are. And you know they're trying to steer the world in certain directions. Well, not necessarily. There might just be an ideology. Let's say eugenics is an ideology that has been believed and used by many different groups, companies, uh, politicians, whole states, Um, religions all kinds of groups use this ideology and it steers society in a certain direction just based on the ideology not necessarily because there is one specific group that's trying to do something for the entire world but an ideology itself can be this centralized force even though it is not technically a centralized entity made up of individuals It's an ideology, and we have seen the power of ideologies and what they can do, and now if we see how they can be manipulated, especially through a system like the internet, and how people interpret them and what they believe about them, and we see the power that they have, and we see that there are more oligarchical, more technocratic groups that do have certain goals for society— and these ideologies are connected and being used. Yeah, it's, it's just not a very pretty picture. So it is something that we all need to be aware of and be able to recognize as we see different signs of that in our current world and in our current lives. I think that's a good point to wrap up this episode, and we will continue on with a similar conversation in next week's episode. I do want to give a shout-out. I may have mentioned this last time. I'm really not sure. So if I have, then, hey, they get two shout-outs. But uh, Jason on Twitter recently started following the Twitter account for the podcast and mentioned that they heard my interview on the Libertarian Christian podcast podcast that i went on to i'm not sure which one it was i had interviewed them and they posted that interview as well as they had interviewed me about my podcast and that kind of stuff so whichever one it was they heard it they started listening to my podcast and they say they are through episode 19 so far so they're doing pretty well jason if you are continuing to listen you will probably hear this far in the future of this actual recording because it might take you a while to get through all of the backlog of episodes but thank you for listening. I appreciate your kind words and hopefully you do enjoy your binge as you go through the rest of season one, get into season two. You're about to get into the corruption conspiracy series, which is probably one of my favorites, at least that I did. So hopefully you enjoy that. And thank you very much for the shout out on Twitter and giving me that feedback that you enjoy the show. Um, In addition to that, anybody who has left a rating or a review, thank you very much for that. I do greatly appreciate it. Thank you to the patrons who support financially and monetarily. They support the podcast and pay for all the hosting fees. So far, all of that is covered right now. So that is really good. And I am thankful for that. And then also just thank you for listening. That is greatly appreciated. Just the fact that you are downloading an episode and listening to it is something that gives me encouragement and shows me that you are interested in this content I am making and gives me more motivation to make more. And so I greatly appreciate having you as a listener, as well as those who have shared the podcast via word of mouth. I don't really do any marketing or anything like that. I've done a few interviews on other podcasts, and that's the extent of it, besides a few posts on Reddit, I guess. And so the word of mouth where you tell other people about this show definitely helps out a lot and i do recognize and appreciate that as well so with that i guess i'm out of here peace this has been another episode of our foundations podcast thank you for listening goodbye yeah thank you goodbye